Hello and welcome to episode 114 of Shoulder to Shoulder Podcast, telling stories from the LAFC community match by match, fan by fan, story by story. This week, we are joined by none other than the hood foodie himself. Mr. Alexander Orozco will be our guest this week, discussing all the hot spots around the Los Angeles area to catch family-owned businesses and their amazing cuisine. Joining us as our opponent correspondent this week will be Daniel Spurry, reporter for the Kansas City Star, covering all things sporting Kansas City. You can follow him at SpurryDaniel94 on Twitter. As always, folks, my name is Jonathan, and joining me this week, we have Mr. Christopher Signs. Good evening, sir, and welcome. What's going on? I'm glad that we recorded three days post-derby because I needed those three days to calm down, man. That was a pretty emotionally upsetting match that we're going to get into. I'm sure the rest of the fan base is pretty upset some pretty obscene calls, but, uh, you know, I'm glad to be back. We're going to write the ship this weekend on Easter. Another one, a cathedral, man. It's the cathedral in Los Angeles. So we're going to be having this beautiful match on Sunday at one o'clock against sporting Kansas city. So I can't wait. Easter Sunday, the bunny bowl versus sporting Kansas city. I know there's going to be an egg hunt for the kids out on the lane before the game. And hopefully we can, resurrect our emotions about this season on Easter Sunday. So before we get into our conversation about food and football and all those things, let's go ahead and tear the Band-Aid off. Let's talk about the loss, 2-1, to at Carson. Before we even get into the loss, let's talk about the shenanigans on the week leading up to the match, dude. Like, I don't know who green lit some of the social media posts that were coming out of the LAFC account. I mean, that highlight video of Chicharito's like scoring highlights with the galaxy. I know that there's a media push for the friendship and finally getting the rivalry match between Vela and Chicharito. And I know that the club had the United announcement with the galaxy about no violence and things like that. But I think the camaraderie kumbaya, like, I just think that it kind of went a little too far. Like I, I understand the message of not having violence. That's important. And I understand that having making a footnote about Vela and Chicharito and how they're countrymen, they've played together. And the last time that they played together was uh, when Carlos was playing for Real Sociedad. But I just don't understand putting the social media stuff. It just it kind of just made it feel like it wasn't that big of a deal, you know, and I, I mean, of all the teams, the team that we just you just can't stand you know and we've got to win in dignity health sports i just it set the tone it set the wrong tone for the whole week and it's just you couldn't get away from me couldn't get away from the friendship and the brotherly love and i i don't know dude it just it just didn't seem like the right way to queue up a derby yeah that ship has sailed right okay we are not going to advocate violence of any kind but leave that whole other nonsense out of this rivalry please Whoever was behind that entire social media campaign, like just have a little retrospective and think, was this the right thing to do given this Derby week? And the answer is absolutely not. Absolutely not. Do we condone violence of any sort of any kind? No. And thankfully, this game was for the most part without incident. There were a couple little skirmishes here and there, but 
there's not a sporting event that takes place anywhere on the planet that doesn't have a couple isolated incidents. But, you know, for the most part, this match was devoid of some of the larger, more egregious incidents we have seen in games past. But we don't like each other. That's okay. That's fine in a rivalry. You don't have to like them, especially after all the things that have transpired between these two fan bases. There's absolutely zero excuse for our social media team to be plugging their players. Zero. It's embarrassing, and I am incredibly disappointed that it ever happened. And, and I couldn't agree with you more, Chris. So that, that whole thing was just infuriating. You know, needless to say, you know, the, the match still had to go off. And I, you know, you and I had talked briefly after the match. You were there. You got to see it live. But I don't know what is going on. But whenever we show up and play a match at Dignity Health Sports Park, we are not firing on all cylinders. We are soft. We are sloppy. We are not making the plays that need to happen, especially when you look at the first games of the season and how crisp and concise and just sharp we were. The Of all the games to come out flat, I just, I don't understand. I don't understand how it just continues to happen over and over and over. Now, look, I mean, a, a couple refereeing decisions going a different direction, and there's a completely different dialogue around this game. But we talked on the last episode of this show about how you cannot leave people unmarked in the box versus the Galaxy like we saw in some of these previous matches. And we had seen it in that rainy game in Orlando where we had left players unmarked in the box numerous times. And you and I talked about it on this show that you cannot do that versus a Galaxy team that is going to find Chicharito inside the box and is going to make you pay for it. And lo and behold, the first thing to really happen in this game, Chicharito completely unmarked inside the box. Both Galaxy goals, Grand Seer, no one steps up to challenge him putting a ball into the box. And it's these kind of simple fundamental breakdowns that happen away at Carson every single time we go down there. And I have no idea why it is that this team cannot get up for these games. The mentality is not the mentality you need to take in to a derby like this. And you can look from front to back in our team. Everyone had a poor game. Goalkeeping. Kripo faced two shots on goal. Both of them go in. It was a bad game for Kripo. I think he would come out and say he had a bad night. Defense, my goodness, our left side of our defense, Fallen Palacios together, looked awful throughout the course of that first half. Murillo had a couple nice moments throughout the game, sure, but there were also times he let players run right through the middle of the box and was not contesting those balls. Our midfield was supposed to be the big advantage in this game. They were without Markey, their best midfield option. He got the red card and was sitting out, so our midfield was... Supposed to dominate. Yes, it, it, it's 5v3 because they play with the double pivot, but we still had the more talented midfield. Our midfield could not connect passes. Looked lost at times as to what they were doing and constantly playing the ball backwards, not forwards. And forwards, nine offsides. Nine offsides. What we were doing in the offensive side of the pitch did not work. Vela misses an absolute sitter. It, it just, these are the kind of things that you might expect one or two people to have an off day, so be it. But to see an entire starting 11 go out there and all lay an egg, it just was 
infuriating for us up in the stands. And even with all of that, LAFC playing as poor a game as we could possibly play, it still took a referee to make sure that we walked out of there without any points. And I know fans are up in arms about the officiating in this game. Look, you can't leave the game in the hands of the officials. If we mark players inside our own box, it's a 1-0 LAFC victory. Those two shots should never have happened. They were not screamers on amazing plays where the Galaxy players just stepped up and did something out of this world. They were very, very simple plays that could have been simply stopped if we were marking players effectively inside the box. So let's leave this whole conversation about blame the ref out of it because it never should be placed in the ref's hands in the first place. And my goodness, the people who are online sharing personal information about the referee from this match in hopes that people will find some kind of retribution against him personally, that is unacceptable. That needs to stop completely. You should never be sharing a referee's personal information on social media because you're disappointed in a VAR call. That kind of stuff is absolutely unacceptable, and I do not want to see that from any LAFC fans. Was I happy with the calls? No. I felt Vela was onside for that first goal that didn't get a VAR check. Well, I mean, it gets a check from the VAR official, but was never sent down to the field for a look. I certainly thought the shoulder of the Galaxy defender was playing Carlos on. Yes, it's hard to tell because the defender has his arm outstretched, and I know his arm doesn't count as part of the offside line. That's only based on the parts of his body that can touch the ball. So maybe Vela's head was an inch or two beyond, but that should have warranted a longer look than it got. And I still think in the end, Vela is onside. And if we're going to start being like the Premier League where we digitally say someone is offsides by a thumbnail, like, I don't know, to me, that's not football. Football, there should be a very small amount of grace of a few inches given in an offside call where we're not looking at, at this kind of nonsense like we saw in Vela's first goal. On the last goal, the one that's gotten the big explanation from pro referees as to how it went down, it all stems from the belief that the Galaxy defender did not make a play on either one of those balls. And he clearly turns his body into the ball both times. And so, and, and they even released the audio of the VAR where they say, oh, he clearly doesn't make a play on the ball. And yet he stops and turns into it and touches it with his hand twice in the course of that breakdown, which again, the fact that no handball was called and that his movement was not deemed a defender making a defensive move. Both of those things frustrate me and I disagree with it, but I understand how the definition was played out that way, letter of the law. But again, Vela doesn't miss a sitter. Tijori Shradi doesn't miss a sitter that had three times the XG expectation of the shot that Vela missed, then we're not even talking about these dumb refereeing decisions that we're all so furious about. You know, taking all things considered, a loss is never an easy thing to swallow. A loss to your rival, even harder. However, the thing that bothers me the most about this is that the pressure just continues to grow for LAFC to prove that we're not little brother. So now we're already down in the count when it comes to the results of these, of this Derby, you know, 14 matches have been played six to the galaxy, six wins for the galaxy and three wins for us. And now we're going to have to come home and it's even more pressure to make sure that we get a win just to still be in the same position that we were 
at the beginning of this season. And then we got to wait till next season unless both teams make the playoffs and we play an away match at Dignity Health Sports Park. Barring that, we would have to wait until next season to try and finally get this monkey off of our back. And I was listening to Josh Gessman was hosting a Twitter spaces after the match. And I was listening to it and he was talking about how, in his opinion, he felt that the game meant more to us than it did to them going into it, that there was more for LAFC to prove just the individual count of the match. It meant more to us to get that victory than it does for the LA Galaxy. I feel like there's probably some truth to that, but it, I don't feel like it It means that much more to us. I think a rivalry to the Galaxy fans is going to mean a lot to them, regardless of whether or not who is in the lead with the victories. I'm just frustrated to have to hear about it for another year. Again, it's just every year that goes by that we don't get a victory in that stadium. The pressure just continues to add more and more and more. We should have won the first game down there. And let's be honest, there was an offsides that was far more egregious than Vela's that didn't get called in that game. And I, I get it. We have not got the officiating at Dignity Health Sports Park, StubHub, Home Depot, whatever, that we felt was fair and unbiased. but. We have had opportunities to win this match many, many times. And we had them this past week as well, too. It is the mentality of this team that frustrates us as fans. When we see our team go in and have a terrible, terrible first 30 minutes where they just do not feel like they are up for this match at all and then are scrambling to try and get back into it, pressing far too much and ultimately ineffective, it is infuriating that we do not have the kind of mentality as a team where we step up in big moments. And the ongoing conversation about can this LAFC team win those big games when they need to is something that I thought we had cleansed that demon versus Leon and in the CCL and at other times in which this team has really stepped up. But frankly, here we are again saying that this LAFC team when it matters the most to their supporters, have some of the worst games they could possibly play. And that dialogue is not going away. In fact, it's been rekindled in a way that is equally as infuriating as the results. When you look at the results, you know, and we talked about this last week, but just to reemphasize this, right? Two of our three wins are not in the regular season. One was in the MLS's back tournament where everybody is in the bubble and nobody had the home field advantage and there weren't any fans. And, and then, of course, the MLS Cup, the infamous Latan's last game. But in the regular season, there have been 12 matches. The Galaxy have won six. We've had ties for five. And we have won one time in the regular season. And that was at home. When you break down the stats that way and you see the sole one victory during the regular season, I don't understand why we don't get up for these games. I don't understand why it doesn't happen. Like it is such a frustrating of all teams, right? We're and the it's better team on paper. We're the better team on paper. We have a more talented team in every one of these games. For the past five years, the Galaxy have been terrible. They only made the playoffs once in the entire LAFC existence. We knocked them out that one time. This team has not been good, but when they play us, they step up to the occasion. When we play them, we stumble into it and it's unacceptable. And whether that's coaching, whether that's the captain, 
whether that's someone else behind the team that's in charge of making sure these people have the right mentality when they go in, it has not been the right mentality. It hasn't. And, and it's unacceptable. And now we have to go a whole nother season, barring a potential postseason matchup down there. But in order for us to play them in Carson during the postseason, Carson would have to finish the season with a better record than us, which I don't see is happening. They don't have that good a team on paper to finish better than we are. Unless we continue to stumble in this game, you know, starts an erosion of our squad that the first games of this season led us to believe is different. But look, coming out of this game, there are a few things that are very clear to me. One is that Mamadou Fall is a teenager. And he looked like a teenager in this game. And as much as we see a very bright future for him, and I do believe he can grow into one of the best center backs in this league and potentially move on to Europe, but his defensive prowess right now is lacking. Palacios is not the solution for us. And Hollingshead does not look good when he's playing on the wrong side. To have those three things going in a game was not good. It it didn't look good for us at all. And finally, we need our third DP. We need our third DP. But, you know, we've had Hollingshead, Palacios, and Mamadou Fall playing in those respective positions in a match before, and it's been fine. It can work. I think that there were people caught off guard. You know, the very first goal where the cross was, Hollingshead was just, he overcommitted in one direction, and he couldn't recorrect to be able to apply the necessary pressure before getting that cross off. I think that this team was riding high on the run of form and maybe they just anticipated being able to have their way with the galaxy in a similar fashion that they've been having in Orlando and in Miami and in Vancouver. You know, I, I just look, if, if Vela puts his one-on-one versus the goalkeeper in, instead of off the post, if Ismail Tajori Shradi, who's looking at a wide open net, doesn't miss the net. Then we're talking about a 3-2 LAFC victory. We finally got our victory down there, and it's all sunshine and rainbows and all this other extracurricular stuff. I mean, it's it's literally the margin of error is that small in these games. But when ultimately you come home with zero points, all of those little things that went wrong, and frankly, there were big things that went wrong in this game as well too, but all of those little things get blown out of proportion. And whether it's that pressure, that fear that this team can't live up to, Right now, we have to spend an entire another season knowing that our bitter, dreaded rivals who have done every dirty, nasty thing to us you could possibly imagine get to go home with the bragging rights again, despite the fact that we frankly still outplayed them in this game. We had twice the XG in this game that they had. We had the lion's share of possession. We had the lion's share of shots. But at the end of the day, we got zero points, and it's unacceptable. And I really hope somebody in that locker room got fired up and laid into this team for the kind of performance we saw because it was not good enough. And it's not like our opponent this upcoming weekend is one that you can look over either. I mean, granted, yes, Sporting Kansas City is not starting off on the season that they would like to have either. However, that's one of the blue bloods of the West. That's a team that is consistently in the top third, if not top quarter of the Western Conference, and they are competitors. So... You know, for us to take Sporting Kansas City at face value and saying, oh, you know, they're sitting on 12th in the bracket of the West, you know, oh, this should be an easier match than others. That's not necessarily true either. You know, we're going to have to look internally, figure it out and come out and right the ship. Absolutely has to happen this weekend. 
Completely agree. The Bunny Bowl, whatever you want to call it, this Easter Sunday matchup, we cannot overlook an SKC team simply because they've been plagued with injuries so far this year, simply because they have new players that are not well integrated into their system and squad yet. That's exactly what makes this a trap game. We need to bounce back off of an very emotional, very emotional loss to this Galaxy team, one in which everyone in that fan base was absolutely gutted. And we went through all the stages of anger and animosity and sadness and frustration that, that one goes through after a game like this. But we have to rise above it and find the mentality to go out and beat SKC and continue on with this season. You can't let one game affect the next five or six games, which, frankly, a loss like this could. And I could understand how that locker room could fall apart after this team fell apart on the pitch at Dignity L Sports Park. But I'm really hoping that this is where Dolo proves himself. This is where the Ante Razoffs and the Mark Dos Santos of the world all get to put those boys together and say, look, we've got to learn from this and we've got to move on. But if we continue to allow uncontested crosses to come in, which is the exact same thing that we ran the likes of Edwards out of town for doing, and, and now he's excelling in Carson, and, and yet we continue to do it with new players in position. There's a fundamental systematic breakdown that is allowing this to happen that has to be assessed and corrected going forward, or this is going to continue to happen. And I'm just, I've kind of talked myself back into being really ticked about it. I was in a good place at the start of the show. Now I'm pissed again. All right, All right. I'll calm down. You know what? Here in lighter news, the U.S. Open Cup is back and LAFC has gotten their third round draw. And the match for those of us that haven't seen is going to be Wednesday, April 20th at the bank. It's against our neighbors to the south, Orange County. Or oh, Orlando. I mean, <laughs> Sorry, that's, that's no. south, but uh, no, no. Yeah. Orange County, Orange County SC, a uh, former USL affiliate of LAFC during the first, what was it, two seasons or the first season? They were our USL affiliate. So it'll be interesting. I think that that'll be a little bit of a fun match to see. I'm hoping that LAFC fans turn out. You know, a lot of times the attendance for the U.S. Open Cup matches, especially in the initial rounds, are not nearly as high. You know, sometimes anywhere between 10 and 16,000. But I'm hoping that because it's a, a more of a local match, it'll be a little bit more fun to see the, the sets of players. And um, Orange County, if I remember correctly, Orange County had just most recently won the championship for the USL in 2021. So uh, I'm hoping they that are no slouch. Match. No, they're, they're no slouch of a team. I think the fact that the game is being played on 420 is going to cause a lot of people to want to come out to the bank. Shouts to the 42 originals. I know y'all will be there in force. How much of the game they remember is, is yet to be seen, but hopefully it is a memorable game, even for those with memory issues. But uh, I have a feeling it's going to be a festive atmosphere at the bank for that match. We shall see. But uh, you're right. That is that is brighter news. I suppose if, if while we're kicking dirt on the galaxy we could at least have fun at their tifo for a second which was one of the most god-awful expressions of faux art i have ever seen in my life that was hideous absolutely well, I, hideous and I every remember person asking you that should be embarrassed I, I remember asking after the match i was like bro what did the fans what did the 3252 say about the tifo you're like bro it's so small we couldn't even see it you know and you guys are right there you know right adjacent to acb who uh put up the TIFO, but uh, yeah, for those of you that haven't seen the picture, just do a quick Google search. It looked like uh, somebody was saying it looked like, I forget the name of the player, but it was like sitting on a throne and I don't know. I mean, the caricature was just, I think it was supposed to be Chicharito. 
sitting on a, a pile of trophies that he had nothing to do with. But I, I think it was supposed to be Chicharito. I, and I know Chicharito is a fairly fair skinned person for, for being of Mexican nationality. And there are certainly plenty of fair skinned people in Mexico, but like the arms were weird and like inflated and like they looked like clay dude it just looked like clay made figures and the the fingers were i don't know it just it all it all looked odd uh he had you know what it reminded me of you know when like children's schools put on those play performances and like they have an art day where they design the background drop the backdrop for like a children's school play and it's done by a bunch of kindergartners like that's what it looked like. It looked like a kindergartner's TIFO. And if they had come out and said, you know, like our seven-year-olds made this TIFO, then I'd be like, oh, okay, good job. Like that would be good for a seven-year-old. But for a supporters group that's been around since 96, like that was terrible. That was terrible. And y'all should be embarrassed by that what, TIFO. What made it even better, right, was so when they showed it on television, you know, they zoomed in on the TIFO. And it's like, oh, that looks like a pretty good size TIFO. And then they start panning out. And they start painting out more and more and more. And you see that the TIFO was like, maybe, maybe like a little sliver in the middle. And you're just like, wow, all that effort for like something that nobody would even have really even noticed, you know, it, I I mean, that stadium, that's, I mean, that stadium doesn't help them, right. That doesn't help them. Their active support is terrible. They don't cheer during the match. They have small pockets of people that are cheering, but it's, I mean, especially when you compare it to the 32-52, it is staggering. It is staggering what it looks like at that stadium. And the quiet like said, squad actually had their own TIFO, which I didn't really get a chance to see a whole lot, but it looked much larger and much more intricate. But I, I haven't seen any photos of that going around because they don't get a pulley system on their side. So unless you're in a helicopter looking down at them, you really can't, see anything that they do in their end but the funniest thing for me is I, I didn't even think there was a tifo from the victorias because as i was looking down across from the supporters section one capo stand blocked their entire tifo as it was sitting on the ground pre-game and so i thought they didn't even have a tifo and i made the comment of when that they, they didn't even make a tifo for us like what the heck and then somebody sitting a section over from me was like no look and took a picture and sent it to me and you could see this little like laundry basket that they had on the ground there that was their tifo which you know looked like it was done on a napkin with a box of crayolas by the time it came up it was hideous and i really hope that those supporters are embarrassed by that product i mean if 3252 had created something like that that would not get my vote even after it was created for it to go up because that was awful. It was hideous. Anyway. All right. You know, I, I digress. The other thing that I've, I've now just thinking about too, like when you go to these away matches and they put the visiting fans all in one section, is it typically on the opposite side of the supporter stands? Because I don't understand why the galaxy would put the 3252 adjacent to their bigger supporter section. You know, like it, like on the broadcast, on the broadcast, you could hear 3252 chants, you know? And so it just seems counterproductive that they would station the 3252 right next to the supporter group that has the majority of their supporters in one section. Whereas, you know, the riot squad is in that other corner, but they're a smaller section. So it's, I, I don't know. It just seems like the whole thing is just a total flop. 
I think a lot of that stems from the fact that there is this bifurcation in the support for the galaxy that they have, you know, a supporters group that wants nothing to do with Victoria block. And the fact that they have to keep their supporters on opposite ends of the stadium really doesn't leave any other place for the away support to be except right there on top of the Victoria block section, which is poor. I mean, let's be honest, that stadium is not great to go watch some football. It's not a great stadium. It, it does not have any kind of curb appeal to it whatsoever. Oh, it was, I mean, it was a great stadium to go watch the Chargers. Oh, okay. Watch. So NFL football, <laughs> it might be fine for, but I would still take a trip to SoFi over a trip there oh, any day wow. of the week. I mean, or really any other stadium in the NFL is better than Dignity Health Sports Park. They had, I don't, they had rugby sevens. At Dignity House Sports Park, that wasn't bad. I do love me some rugby sevens. <laughs> I went down to Wellington for a sevens tournament in New Zealand one time. It was a blast. You don't quite get the same vibe to the ones here in, in Carson. That would still be much better served at the Rose Bowl or SoFi or, or any of those other things. I just, it's just a terrible, it's terrible to get in and out of. It's out in the middle of stinky nowhere and, and there's just nothing fun. There's nothing desirable about that location at all. And it's no surprise that, you know, Galaxy have been looking over the course of the past 10 years to build a new stadium and to relocate. And it hasn't come to fruition yet, but I wouldn't be surprised if if they move on to something better. And frankly, I think this time this show moves on to something a little bit more positive as well, too. So I'll give you one last shot at this, Chris. Do you have any final thoughts on El Tragico? No, no, I don't. You know, we'll move on from it. Eyes are now set to the weekend versus Sporting Kansas City. And uh, I'm just really hopeful that uh, when LAFC plays the Galaxy in July at the bank, that it is not a repeat of what we just saw. Amen. I do have to applaud the 3252 and the majority of the LAFC supporters for avoiding any incidents this time around. There were a couple of little isolated spats here and there. And a couple moments that were frustrating for us in the 3252 as Galaxy fans were permitted to enter our section before having to be asked to have them removed a couple times. And there were a couple small incidents here that really warranted the police intervening and the police who were standing right there chose not to intervene. And there were some frustrating moments that I'm sure this front office and Major League Soccer will, will button up some of those issues, hopefully for the next time around. I do have to say that the security presence and the protocols that were put in place were significantly better this time around, especially for the supporters, maybe not so much for the casual fans, but the game was without the incidents we saw last time, at least as egregious as last time. Uh, So hats off to everyone involved who made it better. I think there's still obviously some work to do before I feel like it's a professional security operation and where I would feel safe bringing kids to a game like this. I I don't think we're really at that point yet, but I do think it was a better job uh, by the folks involved in making sure that security was better for this game. But there were still a lot of incidents that uh, I I know are, you know, parts of ongoing investigations. I don't want to talk about details or anything like that, but uh, there was still some just head scratching stuff that happened where you're like, why in the world would a peace officer allow something like that to happen in front of them and do nothing about it? It, it was a bit perplexing in that regard, but uh, all in all, better. So good job for being better, but our team needs to be better. And at the end of the day, all those little things are consolary to the terrible, terrible performance that our squad put in. Embarrassing performance in a moment where 
we really expected a new mentality, new squad, new team, new tactics to step up. And frankly, this felt like a Bob Bradley derby. It, it didn't feel like we were in a new era of LAFC. So I guess a chance at redemption come this summer, whether or not we even have a, a, a rematch of Vela versus Chicharito, who, who knows if Vela will even be here at that point in time. Uh, contract talks are ongoing. Tom Bogert seems to be fairly optimistic that Vela is going to sign at least through the end of this season with some kind of club or player option for one more year after that. So hopefully we do not have to replace two DPs come this summer window. We are still simply shopping the one DP, which we've heard some, some fun rumors about as those gain traction. We'll bring them up on future episodes, but uh, some of the names that have been bandied about that we're hearing as far as that third DP, at least some of the people they're looking at right now, definitely what the fans have been asking for and something positive. So hopefully those come to fruition. Let's cross our fingers about that. All right, moving on. Chris, do you have anything in the world of news and notes that you want to touch in before we get into today's interview? No, I'm looking forward to talking with Alexander and hearing about all the good food spots in the uh, San Fernando Valley. I think we are all ready for some comfort food at this point. So, folks, we're going to take a quick break, and we will be right back with today's guest, who is going to be Alexander Orozco. You know him as the Hood Foodie, and he's going to be hitting us up on all the fun family-owned spots around in which y'all can patron to uh, hopefully cleanse away the experience of this game with uh, a couple tasty burritos. And with that, we'll be right back after this break. Hey, this is John Thorrington, and you're listening to the Shoulder to Shoulder podcast. All righty, folks, I hope you are hungry. Because joining us now is none other than the Hood Foodie himself. Please welcome to Shoulder to Shoulder Podcast, Alexander Orozco. Yeah, yeah, what's up, familiar? It's your boy here once again, the Hood Foodie. And I'm so excited for this huge opportunity. Like I said, it means the world when people give me the voice. So I hope you guys are ready. Well, before we dive into the story of the Hood Foodie and how that's led you to a resurgence in your life. You have an incredible story to tell, one of perseverance, one of trial and tribulation, and ultimately one of redemption as well, too. So perhaps you could go over for our fans how you overcame so much to become an advocate for small businesses through the Hood Foodie. I mean, you lost your parents at a young age. You've battled alcoholism. You've been incarcerated. You've lived and been locked up for bipolar disorder. You have the struggles of raising a child with autism, something I know about a lot myself. And, you know, how is it through so much negativity in your life, you found a way to create something so positive? Let the fans know a little bit about what your story is and how you've overcome so many things. You know, what? the funny part is, is that it found me. You know, I, I didn't know I was looking for it, but once it found me, it, it became a passion. But, you know, I it stems, you know, like you said, you know, right out of high school, I lost my both of my parents, you know, right, you know, at 19 and 20, back to back. And I've always known that I've been something off about. I was never able to pinpoint it, but, you know, I, I barely graduated high school. I basically was given to the world without my parents where when I thought, at that point, I, you know, it's like I needed them because I didn't even know how to guide myself, you know. So I had a friend for myself and, and just like lost soul. Alcohol played a huge role in my household. And that's what I turned to. I used to drink a lot and, and party and wake up in places that, you know, I didn't even know how I got, you know, what, where, what. 
uh, incarcerated, crushing my trucks into the center divider of the five. Luckily, luckily, nothing worse happened, you know, knock on wood, where, you know, at, at 36, I was just like, you know what, like, I didn't have any direction. I didn't have a career. I couldn't hold the job, but I got fed up with myself. I said, you know what? I need to stop alcohol because I know it's playing a huge impact on me. And from one day to the next, I stopped drinking. And I would say I've been sober for like about six, seven years. That's when basically the transition started happening where I told myself, look, okay, maybe this is the time to start working on myself. So, you know, I, I went to doctors. I, I ended up going to a psychiatrist and they... Uh, Diagnosed me with bipolar depression, took medications for the first time. Everything in the box hit me. Depression, I ended up uh, being suicidal. I remember uh, I was at work during lunchtime in my Raptor truck, you know, ready to, you know, drive off. And the only reason why I didn't drive off was because there were so many vehicles that we double parked. So if that vehicle that, that was there wasn't there that day, I honestly don't know where I would have end up, uh, ended up. But luckily, you know, I was there. I, I was able to stay in the truck. I had to call my wife. Obviously, that was very difficult. And she said, wait for me. We'll get you the help you need. Ended up uh, at Mission Community Hospital, uh, Hospital in the hood of Panorama City on a 5152 hole. So basically, you know, I, I was admitted. And, uh, and all they were doing was just feeding me more meds. And I was like, wait a minute, this is, this is what's causing it. Like, why are they giving me more meds? And then, you know, that's when, like, I said, you know, as soon as I get out of here, I need to stop this. Obviously, if you guys never experienced it, like, when depression hits you, like, you start so drastic, there's, there's, still, you still, there's still depression lingering. And it was for months. And then that's when, you know, Social media was, it, you know, seemed to be hitting hard. People were posting about fashion, lifestyle, food. And I think I needed, I needed to kind of get away from everything that I had just gone through. And, you know, I just, I was like, you know what? I can take pictures of like, what do I do? Oh, I, I eat. I love to eat, you know? So it just so happens that I start taking pictures and it's Lenchitas in Pacoima, Carrillos in San Fernando like all these little mom and pop shops, then quickly I get kicked out to LA, the mecca of the foodie world. And I start blowing things up out there. The first restaurant, like we, I was bring, I didn't even know what, like my network, I was bringing in like some of the biggest foodies that, that you see today, you know, uh, you know, and then I started, you know, certifying restaurants, creating dishes with the people I was helping support. A McDonald's reached out to me at 3,000 followings, podcast interviews. It found me. It, it found me. And, and, and as soon as I feel like I was labeled the hood foodie, that's the, that's the, the day that I, I felt that I started loving myself. But was there inspiration to the name or do you just felt like it, it came naturally? Everything's, it was organic. Like, I don't even, to this day, I don't remember how we got the name the hood foodie. I mean, my wife claimed, she claimed, she, you know, she was like, oh, I gave you that name, you know? But, like, how, like to me, it's so crazy, like, how, like, like how, how crazy it coincides where, like, the hood foodie mom and pop shops without, without a thought. And even the logo, 
the logo one day, you know, I, I had just finished, a, you know, a, a collaboration with somebody and they're like, okay, well, you got the name. What about the face? And same day, you know, I, I came home, relaxing, chilling, started playing with like, you know, Facebook filters. And there was, you know, there was a cartoon filter. And all I had to do is, and the brand was created. For those that are listening, you made the face of the cartoon. <laughs> uh, so you're saying that all of this was organic. You just started going places. You started taking pictures, videos, and one by one follower and one by one influencer, foodie, restaurant, mom and pop place. They just kind of kept growing and growing. And here we are today. Yeah. Yeah. And, 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 it, and it's so crazy because one thing that I always, you know, I got to give credit to like, and my community is my familia. Like, and I don't, and, and, and that word is not, I don't take that word like. So mind you, like I said, you know, I, I didn't grow up with parents. Well, I mean, I, 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 for 20 years, but you know, like you know, I felt like, you know, I, I lost them at a, a too young of an age, but you know, the familia found me when I didn't believe in myself to now, if you know about the Hood Footy brand, I mean, we're possibly one of the biggest foodies in LA. And we're, I'm about to take my brand worldwide. Right now, I'm putting to, trying to put together my, my S Corporation. Because, and like I said, how it's, coming to, how, how it's being put together, I just let it lead me. It just, it, it's, I'm just, it just, I'm just a vessel. It's so surreal. Like I'm, I'm so grateful every second, like, because I'm not going to lie. People will be like, oh yeah, you know, the hood foodie, you know, it's a local celebrity, this and that. Like I've never saw, I, I've never, you know, like seen it that way. Like I never got into social media expecting to be liked or like people got me wrong. So this day, this is, this is me. This, this, you're getting the hood footy wrong. It's definitely a, a very uh, spiritual uh, journey. I, I, I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna lie. I think it's beautiful that throughout so much negativity in your life, you found something that you call your family, and yet food is often how the family gets together. Some of our most cherished memories of our childhood of families are are those times in which we sat down and and had a meal together, and yet you've taken away to have a meal together with your family that is the community. Was there a particular moment in which you realized that the medium of the meal and cooking and food, that that connected to something positive in your life? Do you remember one particular moment throughout the course of your darker days in which you realized that food was the answer and that's where the happiness was? <laughs> food brings me joy. I mean, just you saying food just brings a big Kool-Aid smile to my face. Yeah, since day one, you know, I, I, yeah, I came out asking for food. So, but I'm, 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 I'm gonna turn it on you guys once again. It's crazy because I don't even know how I got into the foodie game. Growing up, I was such a picky eater, and I don't know how to cook. But apparently, I have personality, and that's, I mean, I don't know. Yeah, I mean, so for me. And, and I think it adds just the way that, like, I moved to because from the beginning, you know, I, I never, you know, the whole rating or critiquing. I mean, I was always like, well, wait a minute, like, who am I to even, like, you know, I, I don't have the place 
to you know give anybody's rate and this and that. And you know, for me, it's like I've always I, I've always stood away from that because I feel people with the platform can make or break a business, and I I just never felt that. I was it was never you know so even when I give people my stickers, it's like don't tell people that you're certified or approved. No, this is the this is to show that the hood foodie was here to show love and support. That's it. You know, because I, like I said, I, I don't feel like I've always, I've never had the place to do that to people. You know, like for me, it, it's like the world is so big out there. Like everybody's, you know, there's enough for everybody. For me, it's not like, oh yeah, like the best beef here or the best day. No, like everybody puts their own love. Everybody puts their own sazon. Like you may not want to rate some of these places, but we will ask you a question that may be a little difficult for you. But if there was three to five spots in the San Fernando Valley, since this is where you started, <laughs> that you must try which which three to five places would you recommend to start with okay okay so i have to go with salsas and beer but the one on uh, lake balboa well i don't know is it venice or lake balboa because if i put venice people get tell me like oh no it's lake balboa well so that's like that's that's kind of like how it was woodland hills and then it became west hills you know yeah. like i yeah. remember it's just I a rebrand like, yeah, that was like two mid two thousands, I think, when Lake Balboa got changed over from Reseda Van Nuys merger. So yeah, uh, yeah no Lake Balboa, it's uh, you know fancier. It's like North Hollywood and Valley Village or Sherman Oaks and Van Nuys. It's all the same thing. Well, no, but because they have two. No, well now they got yeah. locations. But yeah, no, now yeah, you're talking about North Hollywood, but yeah, Lake Balboa is the one you're saying. Lake yeah, Balboa I, slash Van Nuys. I just, I, I just feel like you know the one in in, in North Hollywood is more. I don't know. It's, it's more. I don't know. Just it's I, a different I like, vibe. Yeah, yeah. I, I like it more like homey. Like, yeah. It just yeah, yeah. So that's one, right? So that with that one, I mean, we just finished talking about lechitas. Obviously, that's that's where the stardom, you know, started. At least that's where it feels like. That's where you know every. That's where the hood footie took so- off. Lenchitas, I grew up actually. So my grandfather and my grandmother lived in Sun Valley and my dad worked for the telephone company in, in San Fernando. And he would take me all the time to Lenchitas because he'd be like, this is where my friends and I go for breakfast that, oh, like every day or every other day. And dude, the, you know, you, you stand there and that was the first time I saw people like hand making tortillas. You know, my grandmother would do it at home at the house, but you could see them doing it there, like on the Comal. And it was just like such a, like an awesome getting those fresh ones made just like that out of the window. Oh, you go to, you go today, it's the same. It, it's never changed. It's still, you know, it's still the ladies, you know, making them fresh right there. Like, you know, you, you know, you got the musico, you got, you know, the vibes never changed. So definitely lanchitas. We also finished talking about big burrito, like for, for a burrito, that's always definitely been my go-to spot. You said three to five, right? Did you want three or do you want five? This is your your episode. Don't tell us. <laughs> Five nine nine. If you guys want some, you know, some. Uh, oh, that's good. Right there on Reseda mm-hmm. and Sherman Way. Yeah, yeah. it's a uh, Coon Cow Thai restaurant. Um, so we're not endorsing that these are the top rated. These are just the ones you should start with. Uh, oh no, man. no, no. Yeah, there's so many out there. This mm-hmm. is just what's coming on top of my head, but there's so many amazing, you know, small businesses out there. Well, we could talk food all night with you and, uh, you know, 
frankly, I would love to share stories about great places here in the Valley that people can grab a bite. And uh, I'm sure our fans have, have their own opinions of their favorite spots. And I think each of us have our own favorite spots as well, too. But why don't we go ahead and transition the conversation a little bit to the world of football? We know that, you know, you grew up in the San Fernando Valley. You also spent some time in your childhood down in Leon, Guanajuato as well, too. So when did football enter your life? Were there any teams you followed? Did you play? And what role did football have in you growing up? My dad, my dad uh, played soccer. Uh, he uh, played in Mexico, well, obviously in Leon. And then uh, I know he played out in, in Chicago as well. But yeah, you know, the, the, the story with that is it's, you know, we were living out here. He sold the house. We went to uh, Leon. I grew up out there. So obviously, you know, I, I became a Pasadena. And that's that's basically the team that, that you know, I grew up watching. I, I mean, it was a, a family pastime. So, you know, the only thing is that, you know, like, and it's crazy because, you know, both my parents are like about five feet. And I'm like, you know, and I'm over here like six, two. So, yeah, I mean, did I ever get interested in playing soccer? Yeah, of course. I, I You know, I, I always tried it and and. It was just, it was kind of weird because, you know, like even growing up, it was like, I felt like I was still tackling, you know, people, you know, when I was playing, you know, yeah, I know it's kind of crazy, but so when we came back to the U.S. in the, like in the late eighties, that's when I kind of start, you know, I started getting into more like uh, American football, started playing in high school. Yeah. Ended up playing uh, for, I graduated as a Viking and then I played a semi-pro for the California bandits and the the predators but yeah you, you you know growing up it was yeah uh panza verdes and then i know i don't know you know even coming over here like i'm not gonna lie to you for me it was more just like liga mexicana like you know i, I don't know you know it's just you know like the transition i i think it it, it, it was it was a little bit more difficult but i think with the years and and, and like you know all the additions and like everything you know like especially like lafc you know, like for me, like for them to bring the Mexican vibe to LA, because the 3252, that that's to me, that's that that's the porra. Like the porra is like the heart 24-7. Like, yeah, I mean, just it's, it's just, you know, like I ain't gonna lie, that that that's when I got interest, like, okay, like let's check it out here. Well, you do you think that LAFC Maybe they they just allowed this passion that exists in the city to have a place at a stadium for the team because there's been other teams around the country around LA that couldn't capture this, but they just made it so people can feel free to express themselves. Is that what captured your attention? For me, familia, I don't take it light, and you know that that's basically you know building together, louder together, like that's you feel at home. I mean that's that's how I feel when I when I show up. So how how did you hear about LAFC before you first went to a stadium? You know, obviously LAFC was making noise already, and you know, one one day one of my boys, you know, one of the LAFC reps hit me up, and he's like, "Hey, you know, like, uh, you know, we would love to invite you." And I was like, "I'm all about choose those who choose you." So you know, like, why not? You know, like, you know, show up for the people that believe in me. And yeah, after that, that's you know, you know, I've been getting invited and and and. Just all the familia, all the influencers, all the all the community, all the yeah, everybody, everybody. And what was your first impression when you walked into the Bank of California Stadium and you saw the thirty-two fifty-two? Oh man, the the the, the energy is just it awes you. 
it definitely owes you. I mean, just, you know, like, it's just, it's just a ball of, of, of positivity, unity. They, they definitely get down. They, 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 uh, they get down. So take us through those early interactions with LAFC and how does the club reaching out to you become exactly the interaction and the relationship that you have with the club now? Oh, like, like I said, I mean, you know, it's like Galaxy could have reached out to me. And like I said, I'm, I'm about choose those who choose you. So for them reaching out to me, like I said, just like you guys, you know, giving me a voice, like you guys believe in. So obviously now, you know, I, I think it's it's kind of like now what can I kind of bring to the table? And, and you know, now there's going to be like projects being put together with with LAFC, you know, kind of, come, you know, using my kind of, you know, talents or whatever you you want to call it. But uh, but not like they, they accepted me. They've accepted my wife. It's a familia. For me, it's a familia. Like that's that's how I I I base it. You mentioned you have some upcoming projects. Is there anything you could tease for the listeners to look out for the associated with LAFC? So, like I said, you know, I'm all about you know building relationships, and I've been ta- you know talking to to some people uh, in the organization, and and uh, you know you know even if you know if it's you know something that as uh, as far as like a, cu- a food curator or uh, maybe even uh, you never know, you never know, uh, you know. Uh, Maybe uh, <laughs> yeah, I, I can't give too much, but I, uh, if it does happen, I'm gonna tell you guys. I'm I'm definitely super excited, and uh, but yeah, yeah, I just I just I, I don't want to jinx it, but uh, uh, yeah, you, you know, I might be showcasing you know food eats and you know at Bank of California, something like that. Big things coming is what you're saying. <laughs> Let's keep our fingers crossed. Future yeah. Food Network star Alexander Orozco, <laughs> I'm calling it. <laughs> No, I mean, you know, just it's it's uh it's crazy because you know, like I said, it found me. I didn't know I was looking for it. It became a passion and, and uh for me being able to get a second chance, it's only fair that I put my part in. I, like I said, I, you know, I'm so surreal for this opportunity for meeting so many amazing people. Yeah, it's crazy. So what is it like for you to represent LA? the San Fernando Valley, helping out these mom and pop shops, and to also be involved in a community like LAFC where within the black and gold community, we have so many close family connections that are also have those same LA roots. Uh, you know, so what's it like for you to have those two environments and be able to kind of bring them together to merge as one? It just makes the, the familia bigger. You know, like that's what I've learned in this game. It's it's all about networking. It's about building relationships. Um, and you know, obviously, it's it's definitely a perfect mesh. You know, when you bring those together, because I know LAFC is all about the community. I know the projects that they run. You know, I'm also connected to ACFC. You know, so the you know they're, they're, they all they do is push. You know, to show the community that that's what you know they're they're all about the community. You know, I, f- I feel like the community comes first to them. What do you see Hood Putty in the next five years? <laughs> uh, it's crazy because I get that question asked a lot. Like, hey, what's your five-year plan? And it's 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 crazy because anytime I try to direct it, it actually detours me. And that's why I meant, like, you know, like, I don't got control over this at this point. Like, it's just, it's, it's. You know, it's either like, you know, yeah, I, I got to the point where like, if you can't beat them, join them. But I, I will tell you one thing, it, 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 uh, 
it does look like a very exciting future. Well, we're certainly rooting for you. We have one final question for you today. Thank you for being so gracious with your time and, and so candid with your story. We sincerely appreciate that. But uh, before we send you home today, our final question, sir, is what does shoulder to shoulder mean to you? Familiar. I love that. Short Beautiful. and sweet. <laughs> Beautiful. I was thinking through this whole interview, we haven't given you an opportunity to plug where to find you and what's the best way to get a hold of you. So is it just at Hood Foodie? On Instagram, he also has a website that is uh, hoodfoodie.com. And uh, what, but what's like if you had some listeners that wanted to reach out, DMs are always open. People can always reach out to you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, uh, like you said, you know, I, I Instagram, Facebook, TikTok. I almost, I, I basically have almost all the social media platforms. Uh, like you said, uh, thehoodfoodie.com. Uh, you could also reach me at the hood free, uh, the hood free at gmail.com. So make sure you guys come out, support, and tell them that the hood free sent you. Love it. Thank you once again. Our guest today for episode 114 has been Alexander Orozco. You know him as the hood foodie. Thank you, sir, so much for joining us. It's been a pleasure to speak with you tonight. No, the, the honor has been mine. Thank you, familia. Igualmente, igualmente. With that, folks, we will be back after a short break with this week's opponent correspondent. Hi, guys. My name is Jaime Camille, and you're listening to the Shoulder to Shoulder podcast. Joining us this week is our opponent correspondent. We have Daniel Spurry, reporter for the KC Star covering SKC. Welcome to the show, Daniel. Thanks, guys. Thanks for having me on. I'm stoked to talk about this upcoming match with LAFC. It's one of my favorite matches for sporting every year to watch. It's one to circle on the calendar. It's the moment the schedule comes out. So we got a great primetime action and got some, you know, uh, leftovers or some sporting KC. I wouldn't say leftovers, but I would say maybe someone that we pushed to the side in Ilya and someone that LAFC stole um, and Latif blessing. So it always makes this a, a nice, juicy matchup. Um, I think Sporting KC fans sure circle this one too, given this will be a holiday weekend, right? Three-day weekend for a lot of the folks. I, I would not be surprised to see many SKC supporters out there in LA. This is usually one that I've seen that people circle this one when the schedule comes out for their road trip, get to LA, get to some nice warm weather and enjoy the the, the tacos, the beaches, all the good stuff and get out and watch a good match. SKC fans are some of the nicest people. They have joined us for tailgates for games in the past and always very welcome and gracious and nothing but love between the two fan bases, which is something from an LAFC perspective. We love it when our fan base gets along with the OA supporters as well, too. And yeah, y'all tend to bring it as well, too, in the stands, which we love as well. But uh, Daniel, for our listeners that might not be familiar with your work, can you catch us up a little bit on your background and the outlets you currently write for? Yeah, so uh, background, I grew up in California. Uh, as we're doing this recording via Zoom kind of a thing, I've got a San Jose Earthquakes signed Chris Wondolowski uh, supporters shield banner thing that I got uh, when I was a fan and a kid growing up going to games out at Buckshaw. If you're uh, new to the MLS scene, as new as LAFC ever were, the stadium that the Earthquakes play in didn't exist uh, when I was in high school or even starting college. Um, They played at the University of Santa Clara and uh, that's where I got to, I even went to Spartan Stadium before the then earthquakes turned to the Houston Dynamo and took two championships for me as a kid. But I grew up loving MLS, grew up really enjoying everything about American soccer as much as I did, you know, the world's game at a time 
I grew up, obviously, I know you're, you guys might be a little bit older than me, but listeners might be a bit older, but there's not a whole lot of soccer that was on TV at that point. So my soccer upbringing outside of playing was watching the earthquakes because they were on the local Fox sports channel. And then Fox sports and Espanol was the only other channel that had it. So I actually grew up a giant Boca juniors fan. Um, and I watched more Boca juniors through that than I ever did the premier league because the premier league didn't have a ton of TV rights in, but Fox sports and Espanol had all the Copa Libertadores had uh, Argentine premier league on Sundays. So I watched a ton of Boca juniors. So I've got some Boca juniors kits and stuff. So I, I love the game. I love it a lot. Um, I, I do have a passion for the American game. Started out writing with last word on soccer. They gave me my first uh, shot at like trying to do this, like as a real journalist and really covering it. I didn't start off going to school for journalism, but then I ended up switching to it because I immediately, the first time in a press box, it was like this, it was, it's like the light bulb went off. And it's a joy to, to cover the game and, help people be informed about the game. And, uh, you know, I got to the, the first experience too was crazy. It was at Levi stadium. It was a USA Columbia in the Copa Centenario in 2016, which was a huge match. And so that was a really cool, crazy experience. And then I started covering Sporting Kansas city when I moved out here full time after school and I got married uh, to my wife and we, we're, we've been out here for the last been covering them since about halfway, or I would say that the final 10, 12 games of 2016 season all the way through, um, covered them for last word on soccer for the last five years. And then this off season, I got to take over the beat, um, with, uh, the Kansas city star, which is the main newspaper out here in Kansas city. Also had a couple years too, where I double dipped and did some work with MLSsoccer.com as their, uh, regional correspondent covering anything that they deem soccer worthy here in Kansas city, which is a lot, uh, at times. So this year too, with the, with the Casey current, um, is also part of my beat as well. So, um, while this podcast obviously will specifically talk LAFC and sporting Kansas city, if you ever want to talk angel city, um, and the KC current and some NWSL action, I'm more than game. And you'll just have to hit me up there, but I'll, 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 I'll cut my plug short here, but you know, I, or shorter, I guess, but yeah, man, uh, it's been a, I, I love the game. I love soccer. Um, and I, I have a passion for the American game and major league soccer that, you know, I, I hope translates to people when I write hope, hope helps inform them about what's going on in, in our crazy section of this world's game that everyone is so passionate about. Yes. And congratulations to your Kansas city comets as well too, advancing yes. past the Dallas sidekicks into the semifinals in the playoffs here, which is taken place literally moments before we started recording tonight. So congratulations and shouts to our mutual friend, Eric Berger, the color commentator yes. who helped set us up so that you could join us for this interview. So congratulations. Uh, being a NorCal native and a Bay Area sports fan, I'm sure you have just an undying love for all things Los Angeles sports. You know, I actually don't mind LAFC. It's the it's the original rivalry with uh, with LA Galaxy. That I, I despise the Galaxy. So I, I'm sorry you guys lost over the weekend. Um, I hope maybe you can kind of come back and uh, maybe do them, but uh, get them back on it. But yeah, I, you know, all things LA, like really, it just boils down to the Dodgers. Um, I obviously just heavily dislike the Dodgers because I'm a Giants fan, heavily dislike the Rams because I'm a 49er fan, but NFC championship game. And then of course the galaxy, I care less about the Clippers and LAFC than I do like the other three LA teams in terms of like 
hatred. I love the the Chargers actually. I love like rooting for the Chargers when they're here in Kansas City just to like kind of irk uh Kansas City Chiefs fans. So because uh Justin Herbert has I've tried to tell them all along that Justin Herbert was going to be good and my friends who are Chiefs fans didn't believe me until he actually was freaking good. It's a love-hate relationship with LA. Y'all have some amazing food, amazing uh beaches, amazing entertainment industry and all the the nightlife and the fun stuff that you can do down there, but man, I hate the Dodgers. I hate the galaxy. And that's kind of how that's always, that's baked into me, man. And and you, you get it too, I'm sure. Yeah, absolutely. You know, you talk about this rivalry that has kind of recently, at least from maybe our perspective, and, and I don't know how some of the Kansas City faithful see it, but, um, you know, all-time record right now, seven matches played between LAFC and Sporting Kansas City, three wins from LAFC, four wins from Sporting Kansas City, no ties. Two of them at home, two losses at home for LAFC, and one win away and two losses away. And most notably, in 2020, LAFC didn't play Sporting Kansas City because of the MLS's back and COVID and the travel protocols. But then in 2021, the very beginning of the season, Sporting Kansas City came into LA, beat us 2-1, to one, and then gave us a shellacking of 4-0 to zero in Kansas City. And then at the end of the season, when we're trying to make that final push to hopefully get over the line to make it into the playoffs, we had the 4-0 victory at home, which was pretty electric because at that time, Sporting Kansas City was rolling pretty high. They were at the top of the of the Western Conference. How do you feel that these seven matches have played out? And what do you feel is the sentiment of the fans overall when they come into Los Angeles on, a, on, on the pitch more so than off the pitch? I think this is one of those rivalries that comes about when you're just like top end competitors. That's and that's what it's been. I mean, decision day 2018, LAFC versus Sporting is a 2-1 home win for Sporting Kansas City. I sat next to Max Bredos in the press box. I mean, uh, you know, I I told him it was a golasso before the ball left Roger Espinosa's foot there in the first half. Uh, you know, I think that it's been a it's it's a rivalry that I think is like I said, it's when two teams are at the top and two teams are competitors. It's not like an I hate you rivalry that you get with like the crosstown stuff between LA and the gal like LAFC and the galaxy and even earthquakes and the galaxy. It's not that type of rivalry, but it's like the, the mutual competitive respect. I think there's all the respect in the world for what LAFC is doing on the field for, from the sporting KC backroom, the coaching staff, you know, Peter Vermees talked about him today is that, you know, it's a very good team. Again, you know exactly what you're going to get when you play LAFC. And I think LAFC also feels that way about sporting. And there's a respect there for what they can do because they've come into the bank and and stolen points and they've uh, multiple times. And I think each team has kind of given each other a schlacking a couple times. And, you know, if it's not a blowout, it's a really, really tight game with uh, late winners back and forth and stuff like that. So all the games between these two teams are just incredibly entertaining because I think both teams are one are really, really good. And they really do like place an importance on entertaining the pe- the fans that are in the seats. And they, they want to put out a good product every single time. And uh, the product that they, that their coaches have assembled is, you know, usually an, an exciting product. So when you have two teams that are like that and uh, that, that it makes for amazing matches, amazing atmospheres and, I think it's uh, it's definitely a respect from the sporting fan base towards um, LAFC. I think maybe sometimes a tiny bit of envy just because of the financial power and that that kind of carries over with any like major market. But at the same time, you know, like this is 
these are two teams that like every club in some way, shape or form should like strive to be and in MLS. And I think so whenever they come on the field against each other, it makes uh, for an exciting matchup. And it, it, I don't, it's not an animosity, like an, like an rivalry with animosity, but it's a, it's a competitive rivalry because the two teams have always been so good. um, And the matches are so uh, entertaining and, um, I think that's that's one of the good the good rivalries that come out of maybe obviously not like a regional thing and it's never going to be you know like that like this crazy regional rivalry where every single time they got to circle it but there's a reason why most of these games are on national television between these two because it's must watch when they play um, and I think that's what kind of helps create maybe not 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 that anim- that that angry rivalry but that good competitive respectful rivalry that you know both teams are going to give absolutely everything to beat each other on the field uh, come Sunday for our fans that might not have been paying attention to the offseason moves made by SKC can you highlight the upcoming season's roster for us here um and really kind of touch on a couple people for us you've brought in forward Nikola Vujinovic uh, who's come in from the Serbian side Vazdovac and then you've also picked up the defender, Logan Indenve, um, who's joined you from the French side on Yvonne. So if you could kind of just, you know, recap the offseason moves by the team and, and highlight the two biggest new additions for us. So, yeah, the biggest new additions, I think, to sporting uh, are Indenbe. Um, I don't know that I characterize Vunjevic as an, an as a big addition this offseason yet. He might later on, but Marino Sionis. Um, is a player that they signed three players for the U22 initiative. And Denbe and Tionis are two of them. The third one is a defender named Robert Voloder, who's going to be more of a long-term project play. And I'll, I'll get to him in just a tiny bit. But you will most likely see both at some point of Ndenbe and Sionis uh, on Sunday. Ndenbe is like your prototypical left back that you want, attack-minded, Loves to get up and down the field. Good defensive work rate, though. Can put in a tackle. Can get can can win a race one v one with good good wingers. And um, he's also he's got really good service, which is something that they weren't getting from the left back position. They completely scrapped any left back on their roster and have brought in two this year, which was Ndenbe and Ben Sweat. Both have played about the same amount of games. Ben Sweat now has an assist to his name um, that he got in their two one loss against Nashville over the weekend you might see a little bit of Ben Sweat too I, I'm not quite sure where Peter will go with that matchup he might want a more experienced MLS defender and Sweat to go up against Vela on that right hand side he may need someone with a little bit more athleticism to kind of corral and stay with Vela but they'll, they'll present two different looks if they do depending on who they play there but Ben Sweat was another big uh, addition this offseason in the midfield, Yuri Roselle from a former Sporting KC player played with Sporting Lisbon uh, and then went to Orlando City. Orlando City plays with a double pivot. Yuri Roselle came up through the Barcelona Academy, played with Sporting Kansas City in that single six pivot, like Elie, like your own Elie Sanchez. I mean, that that that's who he is. It's a, he was Elie before Elie was at Sporting Kansas City. So, you know, he he's back in a place that kind of suits his playing style. 
Um, and if he's healthy, he'll be a go at the six. Um, so newcomer, obviously, as uh, LAFC picked up Elie, and that's one of those big, I guess, clear outs um, on the roster. Missing will be Gadi Kinda, the designated player number 10. He's played really well against LAFC in the past. I don't know if he's ever actually got on the score sheet against them, maybe with an assist or two, but he's a very dynamic playmaker in the middle of the field that also puts in a pretty good defensive work rate. They're missing him as he is out for a majority of the beginning of this season with a, a he had a small knee procedure done in the offseason Alan Polito obviously the big designated player that's not going to be here uh, will not very likely will not play at all this season with a, a very major knee surgery that he under underwent in the offseason because of an injury that he picked up uh, with uh, the Mexican national team prior to the 2021 season. And he just kind of wrote it out until it was a point where it was just too much to bear too much pain, too much swelling to play with. And so he wasn't able to play. So um, that's where the Vunovic thing comes in because, you know, Kyrie Shelton was planned on being a plan B at the striker and a, a potential fill in at the wing. And so Polito's absence forced Kyrie Shelton to kind of be the number one option uh, he's yet to really put in a performance that is worthy of that number one option. Vunjevic was immediately thrown in upon signing. He had to play. He played 180 minutes after landing in Kansas City. He landed in Kansas City on a Wednesday, practiced Thursday, Friday, flew to Colorado and started at altitude for his first ever game with Sporting KC. That was never going to go well. Had to start again in a five in a in a in a back five system. Was left him very alone as the striker. He has no idea how. Still learning how to do the pressing mechanisms and all this system. So he got two games under, actually three starts under his belt um consecutive and has not appeared until the end of last game i wouldn't be so there there's some stuff we can get into a little bit later here that has me questioning who will start at the striker this week but he's definitely in the mix there i don't know if he's going to be a long-term solution it is a loan for a while vermes is just trying to find a body and this is a body that they were able to find and get um from serbia successful goal scorer in serbia but you know uh, they haven't had the preseason time to really integrate those guys. One guy I haven't, I've mentioned him earlier, but I haven't really highlighted him. And he's probably the most at this point in the season, he's the most exciting off season acquisition that they made. The problem is they don't quite have a spot for him yet. I'm not sure where they're going to work him in. Daniel Shallowy obviously is pretty locked in at the left wing. We can get into a little bit later about how they might try and find fit Tioni in with him. But uh, Marino Sionis is from Cyprus. They paid a decent fee for him. Thank you, Mik- Mikhail Diskarud, for like hyping up MLS because they played together at, at this tiny club in Cyprus. And he's was like the golden star boy uh, of his country and of that league. Got a move to KC. And in practice, everything we can see is fantastic in games that he gets on the field. He is very dynamic, loves to take guys one-on-one has a rocket from distance. You have to check out uh, on look up on Twitter, the Marinos Sionis, and I can, I'll have these guys spell it out maybe in the bio, uh, how to actually like search for his name. Cause it, the, the Greek and the Cyprus language, all those consonants in there are kind of funky um, to really find it, but he scored an absolute banger cutting in from hit on, from the left side onto his right um, against Estonia in uh, UEFA nations league play um, during the last international break. And it just kind of shows what we've been seeing in practice. And so the question is when that's going to actually translate into a game and where he fits on the field. But everybody inside that building is pretty high on this kid. And from what we've seen in training and in the brief you know, spells we've gotten in matches with him, 
it's uh, there's re- there's good reason for it and so it's probably the most there's a good chance you'll see him in some way shape or form on sunday um and like i said we can get maybe get into a little bit what that lineup might look like later so uh for those of us looking up that highlight that's marino sionis that's m-a-r-i-n-o-s last name sionis t-z-i-o-n-i-s 20 year old and uh yeah it's exciting to see hopefully we get to see him this upcoming weekend on sunday my so sister we is about- super stoked on him. My sister lived in Cyprus for about five years. And uh, <laughs> when he came over to SKC, she was like, there's a Cypriot player that's coming to MLS. Like, what do you know about this guy? And I was like, absolutely nothing. But I will let you know in a few games. <laughs> yeah, be, be aware. Uh, sooner or later, he's going to be knocking on a goal of the week door or something. I think he's got real, real quality, real talent, really always looking to combine with players. I posed the question to Ver- Peter Vermees today if he would fit in in the number 10 role in the absence of Gotti Kinda because he provides that same kind of unpredictable spark. And his answer was yes, but I'd kind of like him on the left, which leaves me questioning. So what do you do with Daniel Shallow? Because you're not taking him off the field. So some funky things might be on the future for sporting if they're trying to get him on the field, but might pay off in the long run. So we talked about some of the acquisitions. We've mentioned it briefly, but let's talk about, I think, one of the bigger losses in the offseason for Sporting Kansas City, which happened to also be an LAFC gain, and that was in the number six, Ilya Sanchez. What do you think LAFC fans should know about Ilya that we haven't seen in these few games that he's already been here in LA? Well, you've seen about as much goal scoring as we ever got. Um, the guy was not not necessarily known for his long shots. Um, he did score one absolute screamer of a volley against Toluca in the uh, CONCACAF Champions League in 2019 that had most of our jaws dropped uh, because we were not expecting him to like actually hit that. But he's the perfect uh, number six for the system that I think both LAFC and Sporting KC try to play. He's going to be a guy that can ping these long diagonals out to your dynamic wingers. He understands his positioning in front of the center backs. He understands where to go in possession when it's time to break the line with a pass. And there's, you know, I think you've seen that already from him. You've seen maybe a little bit more activity from him. I'm sure kind of getting to a new place. You've got, you've got to prove yourself, right? I think there was some concerns about his play at times at the six with sporting. Um, I think, I'm curious to see as the season goes on how much of a function that was of Sporting's, maybe their Sporting's own issues, or was it a function maybe of Elia himself? We'll, we'll see later on. But, you know, I think ultimately Elia is one of the best people that I've ever come around in covering this game uh, in these last six-ish years. And I think LAFC fans at some point, if you get a chance to like really know Ilya Sanchez, the person, um, will understand why a lot of people in Kansas City were pretty devastated with him leaving, not just because of like how good of a player he was for them, but like everything he went through uh, personally. His first ever trophy was at the U.S. Open Cup in 2017. I went up after him. I, I this is my first full season covering the team. I went and I sat and tried to talk to him in the locker room afterwards. And instead of like giving me a quick run around, you know, he's you you can imagine what a locker room celebration with champagne showers is is like. Not a whole lot of clothing going on here, but he, you know, pulled me. I asked him, I said, Hey, can I ask you a few questions? He grabbed somebody else's chair 
pulled it up right in front of him and sat down and said, come on, let's, let's take a seat and let's talk. And I'm, I, at that point, I was kind of a nobody in the media scene. And he sat and he talked with me for like five to 10 minutes about personally what the trophy meant, just telling me everything about the struggles that he had gone through in his playing career after he left Barcelona and left Spain and was in Germany and was told he wasn't going to cut it anymore. There's just so much that Elie has done been gone through that um, just really make him just a really special person. So uh, as you guys get to know him in LA, um, I think you'll see just how good of a guy he is. He's not your flashy LA guy. I'm sure at times he might be a little bit off put by it. Just kind of like, wow, there's stars here all the time. But like the guy's genuine, just really down to earth guy. And uh, I, I can't say enough good things about him. Um, off the field and on the field, I think you're seeing a lot of the benefits of what he brings to your team uh, early on. I know last season, Sporting had to play him at uh, at center back a lot um, because of you know some injuries and stuff that were going on, and he did well there. And I think he adapted really well there. But the the reason when Sporting looked their absolute best, it was when he was at the six. And so uh, you know, I, as long as LAFC keep him there and kind of keep him in a system that really fits uh, and has the players around him that really kind of maybe will help cover up some of the things that um, he doesn't do well or can't do, you know, through physical limitations, you'll, uh, you know, uh, I think you're going to have a, a key piece of that midfield for a very long time. As long as LAFC has been in major league soccer, Sporting Kansas City has been a powerhouse of a franchise throughout the course of the last half decade that our fans have experienced. However, this season, the greater MLS community seems to be fairly down on SKC. And that being said, you guys are currently sitting in 12th place, two wins and five losses. What is your take on the current form and roster construction and performance so far of this SKC team in 2022? I was asked this a question similar um, from someone in Nashville last week. And the biggest contributor to all of this right now is injuries. I, I think sporting at week one, they were relatively healthy going into that game. And by week three of the season, they were missing four starters out of their out of their out of what they had of their first choice starting 11 and then on top of that you're missing Alan Polito and Gotti Kinda you know they played multiple games without Daniel Shallowy, Kyrie Shelton or Johnny Russell even on the bench you know they've had to play games with Roger Espinosa as a six they've had to play not quite his strong suit and he likes to have Rome all over the place and you need in this uh, if you know anything about um you know the way sporting and LAFC play that defensive midfielder that number six is incredibly crucial um, and they kind of have to stay home they've had to play different formations than they're used to just because of the personnel that they they could even put together so it's been hard uh they've, they've been even trying to nurse guys um, who had pretty severe injuries like Courtney Ford and Ben Sweat back into like just even a regular rhythm um, on top of all of that stuff. Um, and then any of their newcomers that they added for depth, only one of them got like a really good run in preseason and so far looked like the quickest to assimilate, which was Logan and Denbe. Um, the others, Marino Sionis arrived the Monday before the season started. 
and then some like went out and got 20 minutes against Atlanta United. I told you about the Vunjevic thing. You know, a lot of these guys have just not been able to get in because of the immigration stuff um, and the way COVID has kind of hampered all of those immigration process and trying to get visa appointments and work permit appointments and stuff at consulates and embassies. And so there's just been this like entire like cloud of mess that where really like sporting wanted to be maybe at week two, they were at last week is what it felt like. And even then with Uri Rozel being injured and missing that game, they're knocked back again, a little week before having every player that they thought that they would have that their first choice at this point that they can actually put into it. And so there's been no continuity, um, no chance for players to really kind of develop this, like that, that sink and that chemistry that is so important to what sporting KC play wants to do. So a lot of their results have been hampered by that. And I think it's really easy for maybe the national media to not zoom in that deep with the microscope and just say, wow, you lost you lost to Chicago. You blew a lead to Nashville on some terrible goals. You're the only win on Vancouver Whitecaps schedule that's uh, so far this season, and they're not a very good team. So what's going on here? They lost in Colorado, lost in here, lost in Atlanta. So I think everybody expected Sporting Kansas City just to like continue on, but they're not quite willing to look as deep at, as some of the issues in terms of just getting everybody healthy that that have caused a lot of these results and has caused a lack of sharpness a lack of in sync chemistry from the midfield and even the attack in terms of timing of where guys are at in their run when versus when the ball is played Um, all of those things are just so hard to deal with and I think too we can fall victim as fans to the idea that like we're so in FIFA right we go we pay our money, we buy a new player, we slap them in at the right wing and they just play and it works because you're the one controlling the player. But that has completely removed the human aspect out of it. And this guy, Vunjevic from Serbia, you know, was playing in this in Serbia at a tiny team that plays on top of a shopping mall had to sit for three weeks and finally got his finally got his passports and everything was waiting doing all these interviews when are you going to leave I don't know because I have to get my my passport and back and so I can leave and travel and get my green card and all or my work permit and all this stuff and then he flies here and he doesn't he misses a day of training because it's snowing like crazy so he gets two days of training and then has to go play at altitude I mean that's a real all while traveling out of the country and try for the first time and like trying to experience all this crazy stuff. And that's so much for, a, for young players and like for people in general to handle. And so when you kind of, it's easy to like sit there and say, well, they're not being as good as they should when you kind of remove the human element out of all of this stuff. And in reality, like I'm sure sporting likes the fact that they can use that as an excuse for results at the moment, but sooner or later, the timing on when you can use that as, as an excuse for results is going to run out. And I think the perfect example is the reaction to their loss over the weekend against Nashville. And Peter Vermees was livid after the match. I mean, ripped the team's mentality. There was a closed door team meeting right after the game fans said in the cauldron said something to Johnny Russell, Johnny Russell went over there very angrily and confronted them. I mean, this was like, okay, there's some emotion. There's some angst. This is something that they felt they should have won and they really dropped. 
now it's time to maybe start holding them accountable to the results that they're putting out. Because I think for a while it was a little unfair to be harshly judging them. But now I think it's like, okay, like you got to, at some point, if you say you're going to be this contender, you got to do it. And I don't know if they're, they're at that verge of either doing it or not. Um, I know it's early in the season, but there's plenty of time left. It's pretty easy to make the playoffs, honestly. So could they get into the playoffs still? Absolutely. But their form to start the season, I think, has been frustrating to a lot of fans who are used to sporting starting off so strong on the front foot. And injuries have really derailed the timing and the meshing of all of those things in the ways that they would have hoped. Looking forward now to this weekend, what are your thoughts on LAFC and the upcoming match? Dynamite opponent to play against. It's the hardest, honestly, this is the hardest game on their schedule so far. And if you think playing against Nashville at home and, you know, dropping those points there, like that effort's not going to be good enough on the road. So um, I think this is, uh, this is a tough uh, matchup for sporting because I think LAFC, I think with the new manager stuff, maybe the outside perspective was that they weren't going to start like this, the way that they have. And so maybe LAFC is enjoying the start that everybody thought sporting, that sporting KC fans thought that they were going to get with their team. So I think uh, this is going to be an interesting matchup for them. I I think Vela's going to, Vela is, I think, kind of an X factor in this one because on, on the right-hand side, like Graham Zussi's handled every left winger in this league for years you, you've, that you can throw at the guy. The central defenders, Izzy Matt Marine, he's not, he can put dudes in his pocket. He's a good physical guy. Uh, Andreo Fontes eliminates guys really well with um, his a passing. The left back position, though, is one who's probably going to be marking up Be- uh, Vela a little bit. And I think right now that's one of the most inexperienced spots that they've got. Outside Ben Sweat has a lot of MLS experience, but Randall Leal had a really good game against him over the weekend. And I would take Vela over Randall Leal personally, uh, many, uh, you know, 10 times out of 10, uh, as good as Randall Leal is. That's just a very different beast. And 1v1 defending isn't Ben Sweat's strong suit, but I think positionally he provides a lot of good experience for Sporting KC at that spot and where what what he's played against in this league so that that's that is the matchup that i'm really looking at at the moment i think lafc's midfield is superior to sporting kansas city's i think the back line is kind of a moot point but right now lafc are you know from the outside perspective or i know the game against you know the galaxy didn't go the result didn't go your way but outside of that you know lafc has put you know, performed in every single match that they've put out so far. And they are a dangerous team that creates dangerous chances. And they're also a team that really hunts the ball hard. And the the press is something that is that sporting has struggled with a little bit because they haven't been as crisp in their passing. And so if they turn the ball over in a point where they're really open and pushing for the attack, they can easily get uh, dashed on the counter. And that's something that LAFC has shown that they've been able to do um, is the clinical counters as well as the good buildup play um, that results in the beautiful goals that, you know, Carlos Vela might score. You know, this is the, this is like, Right now, with everything that's going wrong for Sporting Kansas City, this is like the worst possible opponent because they will beat you in the two ways that you can beat a Sporting KC team. You can either gash them on the counterattack if you're patient with your press and and find the the right spots to turn them over and uh, get them on the counterattack, or they're not a team. They're a team that's not built to play defensive ball and to not have the possession battle in their favor. So LAFC are pretty comfortable possessing the ball as well. 
Um, and I think that's something that uh, sporting will struggle with because that entire team is built to be the um, protagonist and built, built to be the team that, you know, play defends by having possession. And so if you can cause them to turn over in their possession uh, in bad spots, and if you can outpossess them when you're going to uh, vastly render sporting Kansas city um, a little ineffective. All right. So we're going to put you on the spot here. You have an SKC team that stumbled out the block. You have an LAFC team that got off to a great start to the season and then just coming off of an incredibly emotional, grueling, bitter loss to our bitter rivals, one in which we feel we were robbed by some poor circumstances. So what is your ultimate scoreline prediction for the game coming up Easter Sunday in the Bunny Bowl? Wow. I'm going to take a sporting KC loss in this one. I just don't know if it's there yet for them against this opponent. Let's say, let's say they were playing, I don't know, San Jose Earthquakes have been giving up goals left and right this year, but let's say they were playing maybe kind of a bottom tier team in the East, a Cincinnati and a Miami type of a team. I would feel really comfortable picking a sporting KC win. But when you're playing the top dog, I, I just don't know that I see that this team is ready to go and do it. And there's a lot that they have to really put together on Sunday to make that happen. Um, and they haven't really shown that they can do that this year. So I'll take a LAFC win in this one. I'll take a 3-1. I think maybe you guys jump out to an early lead. Sporting gets one back. And as they're pushing for the equalizer, um, as they've done a couple of times, that third goal comes in late as they've really started throwing numbers forward and tactics go out the window and you're just trying to salvage a result. So I'll say LAFC 3-1 in this one. I I, I'm still just not I'm not seeing it yet for the sporting KC team to feel comfortable enough to predict a road result, much less a road result at LAFC um, the, at this point in the season. So you have an LAFC team sitting top of the table. You have a sporting Kansas City team sitting in 12th place. So on paper, LAFC should walk away with it, which means y'all are probably going to win four nil because uh, that's, 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 that's <laughs> MLS for you. Folks, uh, once again, our opponent correspondent this week has been Daniel Spurry, joining us as a reporter for the Kansas City Star covering SKC and all the other teams throughout the Kansas City football area. Daniel, thank you once again so much for joining us. We really appreciate your time tonight. Yeah, thanks for having me on, guys. It's been great to chat and uh, look forward to the match on Sunday. Uh, real quick, you can follow him at SperryDaniel94 on Twitter. That's S-P-E-R-R-Y-D-A-N-I-E-L-9-4 on Twitter. Please give him a follow and check out his work for the Kansas City Star. It would be greatly appreciated if you support our opponent correspondents. With that, folks, we are going to take a quick break, and we'll be right back with the final segment of our show after this. What's up, y'all? It's Sholo Maridueña, Miguel Diaz from Cobra Kai, and uh, you're listening to the Shoulder to Shoulder podcast. All right, Chris, we have had a chance to talk some food on this episode. We've had a chance to commiserate over our loss versus the Galaxy, and we've had a chance to get all prepped up for this upcoming Bunny Bowl versus Sporting Kansas City. So now it is time to put the money where our mouth is and lay down some predictions. So give it to me, brother. What are your predictions for this upcoming match versus SKC? So far, I think I'm 0 for 6 on these predictions for the season. So, uh, you know, take this with a grain of salt. But I think P I'm going to get a loss. Predict a loss. Predict a loss. <laughs> no, I mean, we have all, I think we've won all the predictions that I've decided that we we're going to win. Just my scoreline has been total, totally off. So my prediction for this match is that uh, Max Crepeau is going to get his shutout, his redemption factor, 
and um, we're going to have our 2-0 victory. I, you know, I think I'm just going to do a 2-0 victory for the rest of the season until we get a 2-0 victory. I, even a blind squirrel finds the right result at some point in time. I'm, I'm rooting for you, brother. I, I do think this is a game where we need to make a state. We played so poorly in our last game that the pressure is really on a lot of these players right now. And those players need to step up. And speaking of which, I feel like we're going to get a Mamadou fall header in this game. I, I think at some point in time, he's going to step up offensively because he's got something to prove after, frankly, an awful performance versus Carson. And so I, I think we're going to get a goal from the back line. I think our midfield has something that they need to prove as well, too, in this game. And I think we're going to get a beautiful dime from Acosta, finally. Uh, one of those through balls that comes through perfectly to a player. And I really think Vela's frustrated. Uh, he was playing for a contract versus his buddy Chicharito, and it did not go his way. After missing an absolute sitter, being offside far too many times for a player of his caliber, I think this is a game where he steps up, and I think we see a Vela hat trick in this game. And I think we see a Mamadou fall goal, and it's going to be four goals for LAFC. I don't think Kripo is going to get the shutout in this one. I think SKC is going to catch somebody napping in this game. Until this team proves to me that they can mark players inside the box, it's going to be hard-pressed for me to predict a shutout in any game. And I do think they squeak one across and this game ends 4-1. to one. Any other thoughts on the Bunny Bowl before we call this show quits? We really want to keep calling it the Bunny Bowl. I mean, I know that we've been calling it the Bunny Bowl the whole I mean, I've been calling it the Bunny Bowl like five times in this episode, trying to get a reaction out of anyone. And you've so far just dismissed all of them. So here's your opportunity. I mean, what are your I, thoughts on you know Bunny what? Bowl? I mean, I was just kind of hoping that it was a one-time hit or quitter, bro. But it just keeps coming back. No, I don't. I, bro, it's not the Bunny Bowl, bro. First of all, Easter is one of the most religious holidays in the Catholic faith. We have a very prominent Catholic fan base here in Los Angeles, especially around LAFC. And I think the bank is a cathedral, bro. It's got to be. It's got to be something else, dude. We can't be calling it the Bunny Bowl. Well, hopefully by the time this match is over, we have risen. We have risen indeed. Mm. <laughs> I with, like that. That's, all that's right, better. folks. With that, as we pray for redemption this upcoming weekend, we are going to go ahead and call it quits for episode 114. We'd really like to thank Andrew Orozco for joining us as our guest this week and Daniel Spurry for joining us as our opponent correspondent. We will catch you all at the bank this weekend for a game the bunny ball versus sporting kansas city and with that take us home sticks together this our culture from the force of a supernova stay flying that fc dorsum hey shopping down to nicky's korea town liddy caper so mommy about to drop her fifth they won't need to stop but i ain't come to my house i'll defend that bitch.